the first of hopefully many events and panel discussions that we're going to have in our new space here at Yimby Action. Welcome. This is really exciting for me personally. I have everybody here. And uh, if you have an idea for something that you think our group should be doing or talking about, please know that this space is a community space. Um, we want it to be really available for lots of people to do different kinds of events. Um, so come find me, find Kyle, um, he's right over there. And uh, thank you so much for coming. So tonight we are gonna be talking about the role of small business and urban life and the complicatedness that uh, emerges as cities change and grow and as small businesses and businesses of all kinds uh, try to thrive and the difficulties that people and business and growing uh, economies uh, deal with. And so I'm really excited for our amazing panelists. Um, I'm gonna let each of them introduce themselves. Um, so I'm Laura Clark, I'm the Executive Director of EMB Action, a pro-housing advocacy nonprofit. Yeah, Laura gets <laughs> Uh, my name is April Spears. I'm the owner of um, Auntie April's Chicken Waffles and Soul Food in Bayview. I'm also um, opening another cafe debuting this summer. It's going to be called Cafe Envy, um, and so which is also going to be in Bayview. So, and uh, uh, I'm a San Francisco native, and yeah. I'm Gwyneth Borden, I run the Golden Gate Restaurant Association. I have a job because the city and makes it very difficult to do business here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My yeah. other hat I wear, I'm on the board of the SFMTA, so oversee our transportation. Before that, I used to be on the Planning Commission, so some of you might know me from that. Happy to be here. Hi, all. My name is Yuka Yoroi. Um, my husband and I own a restaurant called Cassava in Outer Richmond. I'm also uh, one of the founders for Balboa Village Merchants Association. Uh, we're a merchants association in outer Richmond on Balboa Street from approximately from 30th Avenue to about 45th Avenue. I also serve on, um, uh, on the board for San Francisco Council District of Merchants Association, SFCDMA. Um, <laughs> I'm the first year there, so as, a, as a secretary there. Um, cool. Well, very nice. So I kind of want to start off with asking all of you, uh, what do you think the biggest challenge uh, you or the restaurants and, and groups you represent face uh, trying to do business in San Francisco? Note to self, sit in the middle so you can hear what everyone else says. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We don't have to go anywhere. I, I can start if you want. No, it's good. Uh, you, you want to know what the biggest challenge is? Well, you can rank them. I mean, there's several challenges that I think mm -hmm. that we have going, you know, as far as doing business in San Francisco. A, is the cost of living. It's ridiculous and we can't afford to even, a lot of people can't even afford to live in the city that they either A, work in or own businesses in. Um, I'm a business owner and it's very difficult to even own a commercial space. I mean, I lease my spaces. So um, that's one thing. Another thing that's way high up on my list is housing. I mean, we have city officials that can't even afford to live in this city. Um, so when you look at people like ourselves or, or our staff, as far as a dishwasher or a chef or you know um, a night crew, they can't even afford to live here. So to me, the main problems that I have with the city right now is the cost of living and not having enough housing to really um, 
have affordable housing for people to be able to even live in the city to work. And we're being pushed out further and further. And now we've raised the bridge tolls. So now you're working just to work. You're working to come to work. You have nothing left over to live. So we can start there for yeah. sure. How much time we got? I know. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> we can start there. <laughs> Housing yeah. is one of my main things. Um, the cost of living, it's just, it just. It's just out of control. I mean, that's what control. I hear from my members, obviously, all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously housing is a huge crisis and the restaurant industry is suffering. There's a huge shortage of labor in the industry. There's just not enough people. Um, you know, we can't pay enough to make it worthwhile to cross the bridge when BART's expensive and all those sort of things. It's impacting people being able to open restaurants, impacting people being able to staff their restaurants. It's impacting, you know, the creativity and the vitality of our, our community in general. From the city's standpoint, though, the city doesn't help, right? Because you already have a cost of living that's very high. But then they make the cost of doing business very high. Yes. The process to get through, to do anything, to open a simple storefront is riddled with pitfalls and they don't make it easy. Mm -hmm. And none of the agencies within the city who deal with opening a business talk to each other. So it's, you can go to building and they'll tell you one thing and planning and they go to tell you another thing. And there's not a case management system that's holistic. In fact, you can have multiple different building inspectors come out to your building. Tell you 3,000 different things. And yep. each one will tell yeah. you something different. Yeah. You can't plan and build a business. You can't pay rent and pay for tenant improvements to open a space when the ball keeps moving and you're trying to improve it. Mm -hmm. And so the city really needs to do a lot of work on how they fix their system of dealing with small business. The city says it values small business, but at the end of the day, they don't make it easy to do small business. They also kind of lump small business in the same category as big business whenever they're looking for funding the next new initiative. You know, for example, the different proposition on the ballot related to the commercial rent tax. Well, yeah, it's, it, it's in, who doesn't want to fund childcare? Everybody wants to fund childcare, but that can be passed through. Rent went up for restaurants across the board about 13% this year. Mm -hmm. That's a huge jump. And rent, you can't raise your prices 13% or you'll have no customers. Right. And so the fact that our, that there's not an understanding that it's particularly in a restaurant environment where you are the only, we're like the last bit of manufacturing, except for SF Made and people like Mark, but we're the, one of the last bastions of manufacturing that happens in a city where you take a raw product and bring it to its final form. But in order to do that, that we don't have the ability to outsource our supply chain to another country, right? You are making and doing that all here in the city and county of San Francisco, paying people to do that here in the city and county of San Francisco, and that's more expensive. And the city itself doesn't even choose. When it does its bidding out for contracts or you know, providing food for events, do you think that they're, they're looking at local restaurants or they're looking at local office supply stores? No, they're typically sourcing products from whomever offers it cheapest and usually it's not here because you're paying all the different regulatory requirements that they require you to. So it's, a, it's an interesting chicken and egg thing. But the biggest challenge is the government is blind to how they make it harder for us to do business. And I wish that we could they could see the impact that they're having on small business because you know they can't we can't easily change the housing crisis that's that's there's a lot of things that can be done but that's a slower change but they could simply make things a lot easier to do the process of opening and maintaining a business i mean this seems yeah i want to yeah, ask <laughs> I will say that, you know, poking my head out of housing world, it is very clear to me that a lot of decisions got made 
individual laws got passed, pieces of regulations were all passed piecemeal, and no one took that holistic approach that you're talking about. What does the person go through from the beginning to the end, and how difficult is it? And therefore, how are you making it impossible for people who don't have wealth and connections to jump through those hoops? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because a few years ago we were able, there was a famous video that made San Francisco really funny. We had 22 different definitions of a restaurant. And luckily Scott Weider, when he was on the board of supervisors, helped to, to whittle those down into three. But it was literally like, oh, are you gonna have a toaster? Well, no, you're this kind of restaurant. No toaster, right. you're that kind of restaurant. <laughs> right. I was like, are you right. kidding me? Like a toaster is the yeah. difference? Like, but the point is that we had parsed it so much no, it seriously. became really it became really complicated. And then you're figuring out like, what's the easiest way I can open my restaurant given all of these different challenges. In fact, you know, we're, I'm happy to say the city hired a woman named Katie Sherping, who is like- the, Love Katie. Katie is the person <laughs> who works with restaurants yeah. specifically to help them get to the process. But the first thing that she did when she sat down was map out the process for mm -hmm. restaurants. It was 26 pages long, mm -hmm. 26 pages, because you need all kinds of permits, everything from a permit to light a candle in your restaurant to, you know, <laughs> to being able to like chair outside, you know, yeah. any, to have tables and chairs outside, yeah. you know, anything on your roof. I mean, every, the process is inane. I mean, people don't realize all the different agencies you have to come into contact with, and none of the other agencies are aware of what the other agencies' requirements are. Mm -hmm. Nor do they realize that they are holding you up in the process if they're not giving you the information that you need. I spend a lot of time with people trying to get their certificate of of occupancy or some mm -hmm. sort of other thing in the process that they didn't know that they had to do or they were told wrong information or they didn't start a process soon enough. You know, and then on top of it, you have something like PG&E, it takes six months to turn on your power. So it, it all comes together that it's a, a perfect storm of a mess um, in, the, in the city to get things done. And, and, what they really need to do is like, it's great that Katie's mapped out this process, but now they need to like make it real, codify right. it. Right. You think you want to pile on? Well, I don't know. <laughs> um, everything they said is it's really true. You know, like when we, uh, we went through a one remodel and an expansion and I had to go through the planning department and then I don't know, like the, the planner uh, that was dealing with my architect, I guess they had a, like a personal beef from before and when I went there you know like I mean this guy started screaming I'm like standing and crying bawling you know and then one of our regulars um, who happens to be architect like, he was there and he was originally from Seattle and he was like you know in Seattle I just upload this in their website and that's it mm -hmm. and then like for me like you know yes I live here um, and then I'm originally from Japan and we you know we spend time in Tokyo a lot just like from like transit system to how clean I mean unclean like how why do buses smell like pee here like I don't get it. <laughs> why do people pee on buses that's all other conversations but like why why aren't the those clean yeah why yeah. aren't those clean you know and then, why can't we have nice things this, yeah. this is one of the most wealthiest cities and the most technologically advanced cities in the whole world, I was mm -hmm. going to say another word, but I didn't, um, <laughs> and why isn't everything done more efficiently, and why are these people fighting when we're all supposed to be looking in the same direction, so it all has to, because it just really doesn't make sense, you know, um, and then these people have, you know, the city people, they have their jobs for a long time, and then is it like, is it because like, oh, these are, you know, complicated, because to create more jobs, and it, 
is that why Republicans hate us? Or is like, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kind of, it, it's, yeah. it's really frustrating. I feel like half of the city hall can be like replaced with the one computer. Yeah, and then centralize it. Yeah, yeah, like she said, you know, yeah, like, I mean, I, me and my husband, they went to like the, the you know building department like five straight days, and then five different people that some women yelled at us. Some guy was like, "Oh no no no, this is wrong." It's like, no, it's like what are the rules? They should yeah. say if, if if the question is same, the answer should be same. And why is it not done here in 2016, 18, like 17? You know, so it's frustrating. Um, yeah. No, I mean it's it's interesting how similar that is to housing. Housing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and it seems to be this sort of systemic through our government. You know, individual small decisions, arbitrary decisions, remaking decisions, um, and not having those kind of streamlined processes. And I, and you know, it makes me worry about getting out of my lane and housing and realizing how bad everybody else's problems are too. Um, so on that note, transit. Um, so I know, you know, you're talking about your staff really, uh, you know, as people are pushed further and further away from the jobs and the good jobs that are here by the cost of housing, um, transit and mobility become really important issues for uh, the restaurant industry, for anybody who's employing people in the, uh, in San Francisco. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, we have seen lots of challenges around uh, getting our transit infrastructure where it needs to be, getting our bike infrastructure where it needs to be. Um, it, just sidewalks are difficult. Um, and restaurants rely upon people uh, walking in foot their traffic. front door and mm -hmm. foot traffic and uh, their staff being able to get to the restaurant on time. And I'm wondering, you know, how much is the restaurant industry thinking and talking about transit and how it fits into your business? Well, Right now, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have staff that lives within my community because I try to uplift community and so I hire for community. So a lot of the majority of my staff are, are in walking distance and or uh, less than a 10 minute drive um, because I feel it's my duty to hire community. Um, but even with that being said, I have some employees that are still in school so they have to transfer from school to back to the community to work. And we lost a lot of transport. As far as I'm concerned, I love, you know, the trains and they're cute and everything. But when we, when the T train came out, we lost a tremendous amount of transportation to home for a lot of people within the community because the T train would go to a certain extent and then turn around. Whereas before when we had the 153rd Street, the 153rd would take you from what City College, San Francisco, all the way down Geneva, through the Sunnydale Housing Project, down 3rd Street, downtown, through Chinatown, back all the way around. And now you have a train that sometimes takes you home, sometimes it doesn't. If there's a game, we gotta turn around. Oh, sorry folks over there, you can't get home. Oh, Sunnydale, oh uh, yeah, figure it out. You know, this is the end of the line. And so I, you know, I start to wonder, okay, well, what was the T train built for? And a lot of, I get this question a lot. Oh, did the T train help your business? Did it boost your business? I say, yeah, it helped them drive straight past my ass. <laughs> you know, and at a slower pace at that. <laughs> it wasn't thought through very clearly to me. I mean, I. I don't feel that that train was built to really have community 
you know, have community access. It was kind of just to move people in and through, but it didn't really benefit anybody as far as I'm concerned because you cut off a whole district's, you know, a whole district of people that couldn't get home anymore. You had a whole bunch of people pissed off because they couldn't get to work on time. That 15th Street used to get you down the street. I mean, you would get home and you would get to work in 20 minutes. The, the, the T-Train, you, you late every day. I'm surprised people still got jobs. I mean, yeah. T-Train. <laughs> I think, I mean, buses are the underappreciated workhorse of mm-hmm. our infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And, and they're responsive. They are, we can sort of see what's working and what's not working and quickly change the routes mm-hmm. uh, when changes happen. Um, it's hard for me as an urbanist to speak out against a train. I love trains, like like choo choo. Um, I love trains, <laughs> okay. but I but I think that you're right about having responsive infrastructure. Well, well I think I'm really speaking on the train as far as where my community is. No, I think you're right. Because the train works yeah. quite well in a lot of different areas. Yeah. You know, you can take the M, right you get there. Time. You can take the the M, you get there. Yeah. Church, you, you, you get yeah. there. Yeah. That T train, they wouldn't worry yeah. about us over there. No, I. It really, it really, they, hey. I mean, as a, as a, wearing my other hat, I mean, I wasn't on the MTA board when, when the T line was approved. But what I will say is that, but you let's let's talk about how what we can do to improve access because I agree. I used to be on the board of the Baby Y before the T train was there, and I took the 15 from Montgomery Street to get down there. And I know that, like in a lot of ways, it seems sometimes faster than the T does. Um, and so let's talk about it because the thing is, you know, uh, you know, wearing my other hat of MTA. We are focused on equity and access, and the mm-hmm. truth is, if we're not serving areas that we used to serve and we need to serve it, let's let's talk about it. There's no reason mm-hmm. that we can't fix that, and, and it's a lot easier for us to create new, like the 55, mm-hmm. the new bus routes to pick up people who are now being disenfranchised by the existing system, and we're going to need to because with the warriors coming and everything else, and tra- like you said, trains being turned back, we need to make sure that we're we're taking care of everybody in the system. I mean, there's obviously with the development of the shipyard, there's a lot of other stuff going on around the transit stuff but we need to do that before we need to do that now but, but we needed we needed it Way we always needed it right and it's like it's it's disheartening to me because now that we have people coming into the shipyard now all of a sudden transportation is important but it's been years and years of people that have lived back there and lived in hunters point and lived on the hill right. and lived all through there my grandparents built the ship you know they worked in the shipyard like we needed transportation and now it just seems like oh now people are starting to think about it how do we fix it like like we we have to come as a collective group of people that truly care about individuals where they're at and not what's to come because honestly this city is for the rich is not for the poor and they can give a damn about any of us when you're in a city where a hundred thousand dollars is now considered low income. Well, shit. <laughs> I mean, this well, is. Well, I mean, but part of the other part. You know, like, no, but the other part of the problem, though, is that like the T line was conceived twenty years. I mean, the truth yeah. is, the sad thing is, because of the pace at which it takes to build transportation yeah. projects. So the intent was to fix this problem a long time ago, before all this other stuff came. But the problem is, it takes forever. I mean, the Central Subway, what was a pat like, was a result of the the falling down of the Fremont Way in 1989. It's only going to come into fruition. It looks like, unfortunately in early 2020 right so now it's been like so it's been like 30 years and so the challenge with transportation like major infrastructure projects is they take so long 
And then by the time they come in, the people who they were initially intended for aren't even there anymore. And it's like, how do you make sure you maintain communities so people can be there? Because nothing makes people more angry than like, you know, they had their house and they were trying to keep their community together. And all of a sudden, once all these other people come in, they're hold, they're, they can't hold on anymore. That's not right. Like, everybody wants a nice community. It doesn't matter, like, what socioeconomic level that you're at. And I think what happens a lot, particularly with our politics here, though, there's some people that say, well, if it continues to be depressed or local broken windows, then it's actually better because it won't gentrify. But that's actually wrong. I actually think that people target places that look like they need improvement more than they target places that don't look like they need improvement, right? And so I think there's a kind of a, a misunderstanding of what an opportunity is. And an opportunity really is to serve the people who need to be served today, not thinking about, oh, well, we don't want to do that because we're going to hurt them. Actually, we are hurting them because people say, oh, that's, that's, that's cheap, that's area where we, I can go into. So I mean, it is, it is challenging um, in that regard because we don't have enough, you know, our own hearings at SFMTA, like who comes to the hearings? The people who have time at one o'clock on a Tuesday, right? Yeah. You, know, yeah. like, you know, people who actually really serve the, who usually take And the that's system. where we mess up yeah. because <laughs> then you get a whole bunch of people that are trying to push one agenda that have that time in their day to show up and then say, oh, no one's speaking out and they don't come, they don't say anything. And so the people in the room, their voices are heard and then that's what happens. And it's like, we at work. Who's going to be in a meeting at 12 o'clock yeah. in the no, middle no. of the day? No, this, I guess. You know, no, take a minute for that. Like, I mean, if you know, you run a restaurant, you both run restaurants. What are you doing? You're in your restaurant every day, all the time. Like, people are like, Oh, can they walk precincts? They would love to walk precincts, they don't have time to walk precincts, yeah. they don't have enough staff to even do what their business is doing. Let's talk about walking precincts for somebody that doesn't mean they don't want to walk precincts, it just means that the reality of business is that it's 24 7 to make your, your ends meet mm -hmm. um, and to pay your staff and to support the, the business that you have. So, it's very hard to be as politically active as you'd like to be. And so, that those are things that the systemic things that, that definitely need to be changed. Um, in the process, but I think this, there's still other things like streamlining that we could be doing as a city to make it easier to do your business, right? Being able to upload your plans for your new restaurant to a website, get plan checked, get approved and move forward right away. All those kinds of things are done in other jurisdictions. I was told that the software planning the will allow that. Does it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm they saying. got that money, sis. I mean, the problem with city government is like obviously it's it's challenging because they have legacy technology systems and none all the departments have their own systems and they don't all talk to each other and actually I mean the, at the end of the day what the city needs is a strong mayor that says we're all working together I'm firing this department head if you're not working together because the truth is that <laughs> the reason things don't work is because everybody wants to I want to have my own system and I want to do it this way and I don't care what you do and like what you really need is someone to say okay. This is the, the, the big team, and it's like, we don't need to buy another, like, I mean, I was on planning when we started the whole path for the permit tracking software. You know, that was in, the, I don't know, 2010? I don't even know. It's 2018, and it's still not fully implemented, and I don't even know when it will be, and it's like, it's a really frustrating thing, because it's like, you know, for God's sakes, let's let's use Google Forms. I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> there are other things that you can do that are much faster, and it's nice to customize an expensive system, but these expensive yeah. legacy systems that the governments are holding on to are hindering them from being 
wrap it in terms of being able to change with the way that business needs them to change. And let me pull these two ideas together because I actually think that you know when you have a complicated system, it means that you can potentially, if you have money or connections, call your supervisor and say, please fix this for me. If you are the kind of person who's provide a lot of value for them, it creates this unequal system. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's that there's a lot of there's a reason some people want to keep it complicated. Squeaky wheel. And it means that you know the the people who uh, are able to make themselves valuable and uh, you know it's where a lot of the bribery problems in our government come in. I think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, instead of having a system where uh, decisions are made and the rules are the rules and we have a system that works for everybody and that's clear and understandable to people who are just starting out. Because um, I think that's, especially restaurant industry, the thing that I see is like, it it used to be easy to say, I have my mother's waffle recipe. I, you know, I don't know who your waffle recipe is coming from, but, and say, I want to start a restaurant and I don't know what I'm doing and I want to be able to figure that system out. Um, but when you have a system that's as complicated as ours, you know, the barrier to entry is too high. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, with transit, it seems like nobody is making sure that we are listening to what people actually need. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you that the people in Noe Valley, when the 22 runs a little slowly, they know who to call and the 22 picks right back up. Um, When you have this complaint-based system, it's inherently unequal because people who feel like they know who to complain to are gonna benefit from that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, putting that out there. No, it is true that we should, I mean, squeaky, I I mean, I worked at City Hall back in the day. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. The person who calls up every day and is loud gets results. And, you know, it's not just true in government, it's true across the board. The people who tweet at the right person or whatever get results. And the problem is that most other people are not those people. They're not going to, like, you know, tr- they, they, they believe that the system will work for them. And the system doesn't work, right? The system doesn't work. I mean, most people have to pay expensive permit a- expediters to get through a, a planning process, sometimes to even get a freaking awning on their building, which is crazy, right? Why should a small business have to pay someone else to navigate a system when they want to open a business? Mm-hmm. April should be able to, like, go across. Someone should give her, this is the steps, these are the 10 steps you go through, and she can just do it and be done. But it's not that simple. And it's, it's, it's a shame that we we make it so complicated and part of it is because there are a lot of people who want to control. They want to control what kind of business goes in what neighborhood and like who they think is a good business and who's not a bad, I mean like, I, I mean I've had all those kinds of conversations where people are like, oh well we like this but we don't like that or we want this and we don't want that and it's like, you know, who gave you the right to determine who gets to be where, right? The minute that we start curating neighborhoods is the minute that we, we actually lose any sort of soul. It's not, not authentic to go down a street and find like, like every little different thing because someone's picked it all out. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, you want diversity, but at the same time, like you want critical mass. There's a reason why McDonald's, Burger King, and or, or Starbucks has multiple restaurants in the same corner because people will go to a place saying, I want fast food or I want coffee or whatever it is. And I'm great. Those are not the greatest examples because those aren't the business that we want. But my point is <laughs> that they have spent millions of dollars on marketing strategy to understand that if you create a hub where people know they can find a certain kind of food or a certain kind of thing, people will come and they will come across the city to find that. I mean, Sasaki Associates, a planning firm out of Boston, found that the number one reason that people left the neighborhood that they lived in to go to another neighborhood was for a restaurant. They found that San Francisco specifically, because they went to individual cities, was one of the highest. So the point is, people will go, if they hear about your restaurant, 
and it's great. But the other thing that makes a difference though is like, if, if April's the only place on her block and she's got a line, am I gonna drive across the city if I'm not, if, I, if there's no other places near her, I might be deterred to do that because if I can't get into her restaurant, there isn't an easy place to go to next door across the street. That's what the critical mass, that's the, that's the tipping point. That's, that's why restaurants like to co-locate because it means that for people who aren't in your neighborhood, it, a destination because a destination because there's more than one thing there. Um, and it only helps bring everybody up, right? Maybe maybe she doesn't want everybody else to be doing chick chicken and waffles. But my point is that it brings more people if she has other great businesses near her. But I think, um, if you don't mind, oh, yeah? um, I think, I mean, that's one of the things that I stand for right now. I'm, I'm, I'm the vice chair of, of, of Bayview's African American Culture District, and we're trying to get Bayview um, designated as an African American culture district and I'm actually one of those people that will say no I don't want that yes I want this no I don't want that and the reason that I do is because if I continue to allow these big box companies no, to for come sure in, and I'm not talking about that yeah to, to come into the community uh, then we're really not going to have a chance in small business right. and they're not and destination so, but they're yeah. not destination yeah so and that's we, what I, not what I mean yeah no not you but I'm saying this line but, right is really yeah difficult. but we really need to really support small business on a different level than what we're doing now. I mean, we'll say, okay, we need this here and we need this person here too to draw more people, but what we also need is a collective community to continue to lift up small business and, and get small businesses on the ground. And, 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 I wasn't, and I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about creating a destination. And a destination is not Starbucks, right? And a suburban community destination is Starbucks. But the whole notion of like, if you have other unique, because people are, all the research says, particularly among millennials, is that they're experientially oriented and not loyal to brands. So what they care, what people care about is, I want to go to a corner where I know I'll have really different, interesting businesses. I don't want to go like. I mean, my only point of using the example of the big chains is they, they spent millions of dollars on marketing to understand consumer behavior, right. so we, we can take that, that right? Yeah. They know we that they, by it. being co-located <laughs> by their competitors that they create critical mass, but the same applies to small business. If there are four great restaurants you know, near you that are all local and different, not somewhere else in the city, right. then I have to come to your pocket of the city right. to get what you have because it's not anywhere else. Right. And I'm excited because if I can't get into your business, then there's another place across the street or next right. door I always wanted to try that I right. haven't been to. And that's and that's the thing that we need to create ultimately is like whole communities yeah. are not one person like yeah, trying to right. make it on a block because to your point, it's really hard. It's yeah. really yeah. hard to make it on your yeah. block by yourself. Yeah. And and let me also say, pulling it back to the permitting stuff, Starbucks has enough money and enough right. lawyers to navigate through that permitting process no matter how long it takes. They can throw money at that problem. Oh, Whereas right. a small it Starbucks long. Right. <laughs> it was like this. Right. Back. And that's the interesting thing is like, yeah. people create all these processes. And the irony I always say is that the people who can afford to pay for the process are not deterred, right? Yeah. It's the people who can't afford to pay for the process right. that you right. exactly want to attract who are deterred. And so it's this, the law of unintended consequences, well, I don't want any more coffee shops. I'm worried about Starbucks. So I'll create a conditional use process for coffee shops. Well, now an independent coffee shop who isn't Starbucks, who doesn't have a lot of money, mm -hmm. has to go through a terrible process to mm -hmm. try to open their coffee shop. And guess what? They might not be able to do that because they're going to have to pay rent on a space right. for a long period of time 
so to go great. through a process to hope that they get approved for it, yeah. right. and then they can build out their space. But every day, I mean, people understand when you open, especially a restaurant or a brick and mortar business, every day that you're open and paying rent and not serving a customer, you're in debt. Mm-hmm. And so every small business that's on a street opens up day one in debt. Yep. It's not like a software company where you made something in your house and you're replicating it and selling it for like, you know, 10% of what it was. It keeps, you know, metastasizing almost. But like as a small business, you open day one, like everything that's in your business you paid for already and mm-hmm. no one's giving you a dollar for. Mm-hmm. And so the longer it takes for you to open that business that someone pays you a dollar, the harder it is. If you're not like busy on day one and packed from day one or even day 10, mm-hmm. it's hard. I mean, you've there's been cases of small restaurants who've gotten, who were like Michael Bauer, the food critic, was about to give three Michelin stars to, I mean, three, not Michelin stars, three local stars to, who closed before he ever, before the review ever came out, because even though the food was spectacular, nobody went there, no one knew, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and so, and, and the thing is, that because that person was in debt, in a lot of debt, and they can't keep paying staff every day if people aren't actually patronizing their business. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you one thing, if there's a new business that opens in your block or in your neighborhood, go to it, please go. Don't say, I wanna go there someday, go there tomorrow. Go when they open up, because they need you in the beginning and they need you to spread the word and they need people to come in their doors. They can't wait for you to say, oh, in six months, maybe I'll stop by. You know, they might not be around in six months, right? Their debt is such that you have to cut the cord at some point as a restaurateur. You can't, you can't if you're already, hundred thousand dollars in debt sixty thousand dollars you can't wait you yeah. can't keep wait like as you every week you see their debt grow you can't wait so on that note you could do you have things you want to add because she yeah she knows this very well <laughs> I know, yeah. you can talk about your experience the kickstarter um well one we were lucky where we opened uh because outer richmond is kind of like a last frontier um half of our staff are second generation san franciscans like you know like a lot of the ones in 20s um they're still living with their parents. Um, so they don't have that kind of rent where $3,000 studio you split with four people. Uh, whereas, you know, they're maybe paying like $500 a month or something like that's half of them. Um, well, actually, um, two thirds of them. Um, and some of them own properties, but most of our staff are second generation San Franciscans where they definitely have parents backing. Uh, my husband and I are not, we're originally from LA. Um, and we found that location in outer Richmond, and so we didn't have to get $100,000 on the opening day because we had a very, very small space, and we gradually grew, um, and we added money, added money. So like all the money that people usually spend, you know, a million dollars or 500000 whatever, in the beginning, we did it, but then we spent over five years. Um, so last year, we almost closed because I completely ran out of money, and I ran our Kickstarter campaign, uh, and then raise fifty five thousand in a month, yeah. Um, you know, like Monday, like my deposit didn't come, and then it wasn't enough, and I didn't have money for the credit card payment and payroll, and I was like, I was like, oh my god, baby, I have to close. And then I was like, and then in the Tuesday, we're closed, and the restaurant is closed, and we're like, like this, and there was, I'm still thinking, just thinking, thinking, and I was like, okay, well, let me do a Kickstarter, and then on Wednesday night at five p.m. I posted, and by Wednesday night, 8 p.m., I had $6,000. And the Kickstarter um, deposit the next day. <laughs> no, 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 So I was able to pay the credit card payment to buy stuff and then they get the payroll. <laughs> but, you know, by then, my debt was 250000 
so 55,000 that we raised wasn't gonna do any um, but I uh, qualified for a small business loan uh, SBA loan for 250,000 from Main Street Launch. Uh, Robert, in, yeah, my man. <laughs> there yeah. That. So that was good. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it, it's hard, you know. Um, and then I kind of wanted to go back to the the transit part. Um, yes. So like like you know like you said, chef. So so uh, same thing. Like half of our staff live within half, you know, like within ten minute walk, or like a lot of them live in outer Richmond, so they're fine. Uh, there are a few that don't drive that live far away. And then to urban this like you're like I might be very bad, but what we do is we have um, staff have um, Uber app, and um, I know we're bad because we use Uber and not Lyft, but you know like. <laughs> but so we have a staff. Uh, our staff have Uber app on their phone, and we put company credit card. Um, so then they use Uber, um, and then it's like so for me. Um, okay, so one hour about labor is fifteen dollars. Right. Right. That's fine. And then two, by me not having this person in that one hour, I could lose five hundred dollars right. in sales. Mm -hmm. So right. I rather pay the twenty dollars to get this. Get them here. to work. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, so I'm all for it. And then it's interestingly, and then I think this can hurt the buses too. Whereas like one time, like one of our staff, you know, he lives where we where is there is living in West Poro? Mm -hmm. West Poro. So outer Richmond to West Poro is a quite a distance. Yeah. But one one of his Uber driven fifty nine cents. I don't know how ever the algorithm works or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all these I'm like, I need that Uber number. <laughs> Um, but then also, yes, you know, so these people that drive Uber, how much do they get paid if they drive for 30 minutes and they get 59 cents from this one child, you know? Um, so, I don't know, I mean, we, we take advantage of, like, whatever, I, I don't know if it's good or bad, but that's, you know, you you know what, like, we want to, mm -hmm. yeah, we want to make it work, you know? Now, and a lot of restaurants have to do that, because the thing is, no, we don't have late night transportation or early morning right. transportation. If you're a restaurant in San Francisco, you have to you, you can only have employees that live in the city to close your restaurant because right. they can't get home if they don't, right. and you yeah. can't afford to drive and park here. And in Bard, unfortunately, depending on how far you're coming, can be sixteen dollars one way. I mean, that's it's so yeah. you know, and so it, it makes it hard, I and mean, that's why I mean, it's great for Oakland because their restaurant theme seems is thriving because it's not you know it's a lot cheaper distances for mm -hmm. people, but it's but it's hard for us because the public transportation doesn't run late enough doesn't run early enough, and unfortunately doesn't run often enough. And we've tried mm -hmm. some, like with AC Transit, the all-nighter, which doesn't have quite the participation that it needs to have to continue, probably. Um, and there's been some other companies that have tried to do some sort of like transportation things. It, it's tough, I mean, it, yeah. it's and really tough. And we don't think of 2 a.m. as a commuting hour, but it actually is. For, for us, For yeah. restaurants. <laughs> and, yeah. and on that note, bars and getting liquor licenses. Because yeah. uh, uh, for a lot of restaurants. Um, you gotta move it along, girl. I <laughs> is good. Yeah. Moving uh, along. No, we went to some really interesting places. So, yeah. I, I, you know, one of the things that, you know, in the the the, the theme of getting uh, your permits and um, one of the things that Grow the Richmond is one of our clubs out in the Richmond. Mm -hmm. um, and one of their first activities was helping a Chinese restaurant get their liquor license and how important that was to their bottom line, to being able to make sure that they were going to um, 
be able to make payroll and all that good stuff. Um, and it seems like, uh, you know, every kind of restaurant is a different kind of restaurant, um, but needing the ability to be able to do beer, wine, and then liquor uh, is really important for restaurants, um, not across the board, but in many places. I mean, and the it's profit margins. I mean, yeah. I, mean, every, I mean, the truth is the profit margin in restaurants is typically not in food. Unless you're doing really inexpensive food product, flour and water, like sort of pasta kind of stuff, yes, you know, it's, it's pretty inexpensive food product. By and large, if you have like a, a chef or a person that's like a, you know, a skilled cook um, and, you're, and you're doing anything that's a little more complicated, it gets expensive, right? Most restaurants make their money off of liquor, right? You think about it, you buy a glass of wine for the price of a bottle of that same wine Good all the time. for the bottle, right? Um, same thing with liquor, right? You have one bottle of vodka you buy for $20, you can sell 20 drinks out of that bottle of vodka versus the other. The big disadvantage for a lot of- And we're all happy to pay it. Exactly right. <laughs> and the big disadvantage for a lot of smaller restaurants is that it's cost prohibitive for them to get a liquor license or they might their neighborhood like prevents them. So beer and wine is great because beer and wine is a lot cheaper. It's about $14,000 to do, but it's not cheap. That's not, I mean, it's Cheaper than a liquor license. Can you say that number again? About fourteen thousand for a beer and wine license. However, Jeez. no beer and wine was much cheaper than that. Well, maybe for you. Yeah, beer and wine was much cheaper than that. It's like I I I just no, recently. No, we put all in, all the permits and stuff inclusive. It's like oh right, right, right. Yeah, beer and wine was much cheap. when I when I initially started looking for beer and wine licenses. Beer and wine licenses were seven hundred dollars. I've been in business for twelve years on on Third Street. So when I when I first. Thank you. It's been a journey. Okay. I'm auntie, mama, police, security. I'm everything. But um, so the beer and, line, beer and wine licenses weren't that difficult to achieve. Um, I just recently um, received um, an 87 liquor license. The and that was, that was done through a lottery system where we only had, I think, five for the entire city to, uh, you know, be a part of this lottery. Yeah, so and I ended up being like number six. That's great, because that was something, so we advocated for that. So the whole idea is, so I don't know if people understand, but in, in California, liquor licenses, there's a certain number of liquor licenses per census track every jurisdiction can have. And when they, when ABC, the Alcoholic Beverage Control Board, came up with the liquor license numbers, um, San Francisco was oversaturated in most census tracts already. So the point is that in San Francisco, there are no, in most jurisdictions, ABC has a lottery every September, and they say, oh, in Solano County, there are 10 liquor licenses for sale, and you buy them from them at a very affordable cost. The only way to get a liquor license and we'll talk about the third way now, but the only way to get a liquor license typically is through um, from another liquor license holder okay. here in San Francisco. Which they sell them for $150,000. Well, actually, unfortunately, $200,000. Yes, but now it's like $300,000. It's now $300,000. And more. Because, because they're, they're their own licenses. Well, yeah, so they're, they're, you have to buy them from an owner of a liquor license. And unfortunately, for many businesses that go out of business, it's the only tangible asset they have to sell. So right. if you're closing your business down and you've got debt, the only asset you have less of your liquor license, and because people can't buy, can't just easily mm -hmm. buy a liquor license, the value has gone up. We're lucky because it's only like 
two fifty to three hundred thousand. Napa, it's like five hundred thousand. So that's wow. just to make you feel a little better. But my point is that liquor licenses are hard to come by. Wait a second. Artificial shortages drive up prices. Yes, yes they do. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so as a consequence, you know, working with the mayor's office, that we. We sought this idea of a neighborhood liquor license. There's some neighborhoods where there's not a single restaurant that has a full liquor license, which means spirits, right? There are tons, there's some bars that have them because they're, they've had them a long time ago, but there are very few restaurants serving food that actually in some neighborhoods, um, and some instances, no, some neighborhoods don't, not a single one serves food. So we worked with, um, it was Phil Ting, uh, first it was Scott Wiener and Phil Tang, whatever, to op- offer these neighborhood liquor licenses. And we actually sought initially 28. And then for some reason, some person in another jurisdiction decided to knock us down to five. Mm. We were able to go back to the well and get five per year each year. So now we have more. But the whole notion is that in underserved neighborhoods like Third Street, like Terrabelle, like Outer Mission and Geneva, places where there aren't, in some cases, a single restaurant that has a liquor license, only bars have them, but places that serve food, they can now get a liquor license through a lottery. If there's more than five people who apply, then it goes through a lottery prices, a process. But if there aren't five people, then you will get the liquor license. But there's certain census tracts that were identified that are underserved in terms of restaurants having liquor licenses. And it's because it, it makes a big difference. If you have a restaurant and you have a liquor license, people stay, they linger, they spend more money. I mean, there's a lot more opportunities there for you than you know without one. And, and people wanna say, oh, liquor's bad and evil. It's not bad and evil. Um, it can be bad and evil if you have a problem, if you don't manage it well, if you don't understand, you know, if you don't understand moderation, of course, everything, food, everything can be bad for you if you don't enjoy it in the correct fashion. But the bottom line for a lot of restaurants is, it's the difference maker. Your profit margin on a cocktail is significantly different than your your profit margin on a, an item of food, particularly because of the, the intensity it takes for a person who's actually creating it. You have to hire an entire staff mm-hmm. of people who are creating the food, prepping the food, bringing it out to you and all that sort of stuff. A cocktail, there's one bartender person making it, right? Or maybe pouring it out of the pre famous pre batch. So the, the point is that the economy of scale is different, and what's actually hard, particularly because communities of color and, and people who own businesses of color typically do not have those liquor licenses. Um, so, on that note, I want us to sort of uh, do a little bit of final thoughts. Um, and where do you see the biggest opportunity, or what do you think government needs to be doing uh, to improve? Uh, your business or the ability for people to follow your path? Um, yeah, okay, I'll go. Uh, please um, make subways in the Richmond If you know, if you can make Tesla in six months, you can make Subway in two years. Yeah. Right? We'll get Gary BRT any day now. Yeah. That's a bus line. Yeah. I think the bus line is good too, but then. I don't know. Well, like uh, going back to Tokyo, I mean, there's you know, there's one train station in middle of Tokyo that has four lines, all subways. The bottom, the lowest one, is 250 meters in the ground. So you take like five escalators to get to that, you know. But then every single platform squeaky clean. Everybody gets on time everywhere. I mean, if they can do that there, you know, with all the volcanoes and stuff, like why can't we do it here? <laughs> It's really that simple. Yeah. <laughs> well, so like so the challenge is still yeah. is that, and then you know, 
know, like I just mentioned that I'm from LA, but you know, I never really been this immersed in politics until we moved here, and then I don't understand why the, to the toxic like the culture, why like we're supposed to be kind of on the same level. I mean, like it's, I think you know, except the fifty thousand people that voted for Trump, and most of us hate Trump, you know, and I think most of us are for like a lot of the same issues. But why this fight? You know, that makes everything so slow, and then it's. It's really like mind-boggling. Like you know, and, and, but housing too, right? I mean, one side says no, don't make more housing. Then it's gonna like, then one side, one side says no, not only make the housing, but why can't we just say like, well, let's not all make three thousand dollar condos because that's not gonna really help us. But like, why can't we have apartment, single apartments that's eight hundred dollars a month for a lot of people? Because like I, I'm going back to Tokyo's example again, but yeah, you can still find to get to Shinjuku or like Shibuya, like Ikebukuro, those would be like, you know, your Manhattan's like main area. And then within the 15 minute uh, uh, subway ride, you can find single apartments for $750. Back, your own bathroom, everything's safe. Why, why can we not get that here? It just like doesn't make sense. So that would be, you know, yeah. like two cents. I'm gonna give that a round of for me, I think our biggest allies are ourselves and our communities. Mm -hmm. um, we need to continue to support our designated cultural districts. We need to continue to support our designated merchants associations. And those voices that have the money get heard the loudest and the ones that don't, we don't hear about. So we have to continue to mobilize our communities and, and utilize what we have within ourselves to really have that voice because if we if we don't have people at meetings because we're working so hard we're not going to be heard and we have to make sure that we are mobilizing our communities and working together in our communities unless we won't have any jobs we won't have any place for people to live and this is evident this is evident right now i have a chef right now that i pay very well I pay extremely well. He makes more money than I do. I promise you that because he is my best asset. If I don't have him, I cannot expand my business. So I have to make sure he's taken care of. But he's, he's taken care of very well by me, but he has a family to look after. So I have a chef that makes a great amount of money, but where does he live? He lives in a garage unit with his wife and his twin daughters and his son. They have to all live in a garage space because they can't afford to have a decent place to live in San Francisco. And his wife works and she goes to school and he works. I go downtown and most of the time, a lot of the time, I deliver a lot of my own deliveries downtown because A, I can't afford to have my staff gone for two, three hours in traffic to get downtown for a $200 order. So I'm gonna take that order, but when I get there, it's a rec room, it's a party room, they laying down, they chilling, and it's the atmosphere that their, their jobs create for them because they know how stressful it is to be in business and live in this city. So you have Facebook that's gonna build a city and a neighborhood for their people to, to live in. Because there ain't nowhere to go. There ain't no place to go. I mean, there's nowhere to go. So imagine, so imagine your grassroots folks yeah. or your people from the hill or your people from Hunter's Point that are like, Shit, where am I gonna work? You know what I'm saying? And so it's like we have to start training our children on how to be a computer tech technician. And, and like I say, when you're saying $100,000 is low low income, 
we have a huge problem. We can't pay any of our staff hundred thousand. No. Nobody. No. What's important? Yeah. What's important here? Is it really important to have families here anymore? Which I don't see very many families left in San Francisco. I just want to like second what you're saying because I think that uh, every business I know is dealing with the cost of living, mm -hmm. meaning that even the companies that can afford to pay people $100,000, their employees are unhappy because mm -hmm. they're living in substandard housing a lot of the they're time. They're sharing. It's four yeah. adults in one apartment. Yeah. I mean, and I would say what we need is we need you, right? All of you who aren't in the restaurant or small business world especially to be our advocates. At the end of the day, you know, because people in small business every day, they're working every single day, every hour of the day. When you're kicking back and you're having your lovely meal at a restaurant on a Friday night, they're serving you, right? They're working, right? So they don't have the time or the luxury to necessarily advocate for themselves. But they need you to do several things. One, when a new business opens up, you support it, you try it. If you don't like it, you don't have to go back. But the point is, go visit and try it. Two, any chance that you have I know the temptation to buy things online, whether it's Amazon, Fresh, delivery or grocers, whatever. Think about the local business, right? The minute that you choose to buy something that is delivered to you from somewhere that's not here, right? It's the choice that you're making to take your money out of the community. And I know that the convenience factor is super high and it's very easy to say, oh, but Amazon's the cheapest price and I can get it in two, in, for, on Prime for free or whatever it is. But the point is, small business can't thrive if that's the choice that you make. If you want a vibrant commercial corridor with all kinds of businesses, then you need to support those businesses. Those businesses can't exist just because they look pretty on the block. But people have to go into them. Businesses go out of business when people don't show up to support those businesses. And then when you support those businesses, spend big, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Order the extras, buy the alcohol, whatever it is. They are meeting the standard of what the what, of the high rents, high cost of living, and trying to pay their staff well to be able to work for them and to live in the city. All those things. Don't complain about the prices. The prices are what they are because of the cost of what, what it is here. Do, advocate on their behalf. We need you. We need. We need. Restaurants. There are sixty-four thousand employees in San Francisco. Restaurants contribute. 52% of the retail sales tax collected here, over $4 billion in taxable sales. We are, hospitality, despite the, despite the hype, is still the number one industry in San Francisco. And when they pull the 25 plus million tourists that come here, one of the top three reasons they come here is for our food. So our hospitality, our food businesses sitting right here next to me are the reason that we are the vital city that we are. They're the reasons that tech companies moved here in the first place. So we need all of you to advocate on our behalf and to support these businesses because they won't exist. If you if you want if you want to order everything online, then 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 maybe you shouldn't live here. Maybe you should live in a suburban community where it's where you can easily get your deliveries. But my point is that like, if you choose to be in the city, support the city. The city needs you. We need you to advocate at City Hall and tell elected leaders about what they can do to support us. And we also need you to actually support the businesses. Go and frequent them, right? Ultimately, they, these businesses can't exist if you don't walk in their doors. In turn, we promise what you're going to eat is safe, delicious, and good, and the price is justified. <laughs> Our panelists.
so much um, for sharing um, not just their thoughts, but uh, their hearts. I think this has been one of the most interesting panels that I've been on. Um, and the diversity, and also, I didn't even realize it was going to be an all-female panel <laughs> until we sat down. Thank you to our guests. Thank you. All right. Thank you.